0: Hello and welcome to How to Win the Lottery Season 3 Internet Module. We are here with the author of The Shore, Katie Rundy. Hello, Katie.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for being here. This is very exciting because this is a very New Jersey podcast and weirdly or coincidentally or something... A lot of the books that we've read have been based in New Jersey. This is no exception. So, thank you for helping keep this New Jersey tradition alive here.
1: I found myself a lot of Jersey books. I just wrote this listicle as like a pre-pub thing, and I, Jersey books are not particularly hard to find. Jersey Shore books are a little trickier.
2: Oh yeah, what do you what do you got?
1: Um, well, a couple a couple of Jersey Shore books on the list. Uh, there's a really good one called Please See Us by Kate, Caitlin Mullin. Um, that came out in 2020, and it's like a it's a murder book, which is not normally my thing. But set in Atlantic City, it's so it's like a girl comes home slash murder book. And then another one called Rock the Boat by Beck Dory Stein that I also wasn't on my radar before I was looking for them. And that's also like that's not a murder book, but it is a girl comes home to a Jersey Shore town. And then of course you have uh, well those are my Jersey Shore two of my Jersey Shore uh, favorites, but. But yeah, you guys have had a lot of Jersey folks on the show.
2: Yeah, I, so where are you from originally? What are you from? Seaside.
1: Seaside Park, and my family had boardwalk businesses in Seaside Heights, so just the town right next door.
2: Okay, so I grew up in Manasquan. You know, I I spent fifteen years of my life working at the beach in the parking lots, uh, selling uh, spaces for twelve dollars a a person, and getting getting abused by the quote unquote <laughs> bennies.
1: Yeah, um, everyone's so happy to pay that
2: which is so weird like like my thing is always like you're from new york parking costs like $40 an hour there why are you complaining to me about $12 for 24 hours
1: oh yeah yeah we had a couple of parking lots too and uh, I had a friend who worked in one of them, and she got so frustrated with the people coming in. She walked off the job one day. She could not take the abuse.
2: <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's the place that, you know, I've worked mostly, I worked at Rite Aid for a while. I've worked as a teacher for a while. But, like, definitely the place that I've taken the most abuse in my life, job-wise, <laughs> is the Jersey Shore. So, uh, yeah, that's that. So is this book traumatic for you? this book yeah was this book traumatic for me in a a separate way entirely that we that we can talk about um which we can we can really get into. i meant that
0: as a joke but then i realized what we actually (laughs) the the behind the scenes yeah yeah, yeah. we we can
2: we can get into the nitty-gritty of of the ways in which i relate to this book
1: you know i was thinking about the working part like i worked in my family's businesses from the time i was pretty young and so i've been thinking about that a lot because my own kids have a really different kind of upbringing they go to camp you know they live in the midwest And it sort of occurred to me, I was like, yeah, it was maybe it was character building to have people yelling at you about their fries (laughs) when you were eight. But I was like, maybe, maybe you would learn that another way. I'm kind of on the fence about how I feel about that. You know, my kids not having that, you know,
2: I'm sure. Where are you now?
1: I live in Iowa City now.
2: So, so I'm mm-hmm. sure that you can find different ways for your eight-year-old children to get abused by strangers <laughs> in Iowa City. That, you, there's always people out there willing to yell at kids.
1: <laughs> go down to the Dairy Queen. Mm-hmm. Probably
2: mm-hmm. go anywhere.
0: There's people are angry all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: Is Iowa City? Is that where the University of Iowa is?
1: We have we have the famous writers' workshop in town, uh, okay. which it it makes for a really interesting literary ecosystem. And there, but there's a big community of writers here who are not Writers Workshop affiliated too. What
0: college is in Ames?
1: That's Iowa State, the Cyclops. Okay, because
0: Aime, mm-hmm. Ames is a very common uh, New York Times crossword clue, and I know that there's a college it's like <laughs> Iowa Town with a college. And I'm just like I, I know it's Ames, but I don't know what college it is and whatever. Yes. So okay, yeah, yeah, yes, yes, okay. that's,
1: that's the other big state university.
0: Gotcha. Okay, cool. In our, we we have a Patreon behind the scenes where we have the the bonus episodes where we like rank characters. And I think what's interesting about this is that there's a sense of like four main characters, but like we really only, I mean, we know four, but I think there's an interesting thing where there's four characters, but we really only know three. And then for the final little section to be from Brian's perspective, I think is a very emotional sort of payoff, but like, what is it like, I guess, writing a story where there's four main characters, but you really only hear from, like, you know, Brian, we don't really hear from Brian. So like, is that an interesting way to like, define a character through other characters, memories and thoughts and actions?
1: Always the question when you have a character who's not themselves for any reason, right? Like, how do you present who they were? So you get you, you can only get it through through memory and flashback. Uh, and from some other mediums that we might get to talking about, you know, later, but you also get him for just he starts the book, too. So I'm sort mm-hmm. of hoping in this very little snippet, you know, so I'm sort of hoping that it's in the back of your mind, uh, throughout the book that you might eventually through the magic of fiction, get to get to see this part of him that you're missing, right? And isn't that great? I love a book where you sort of forget, right? Like, you forget this thing that the writer sews earlier and then it just comes right in and hits you later. I just, I love that feeling. I think that's the reason to read rather than watch a movie, right? For the, for those like, Magical narrative things that you can do only in fiction.
0: Well, there there was a thing when we talked about a prayer for Owen Meany by John Irving in the first season. There's a moment at the I don't know if you've read that, but there's a moment at the end where Bob said he had to lay down, and I said out loud in my car, (laughs) "Holy shit!" We're just like it's a thing (laughs) that's been like sprinkled throughout, and it's like you kind of forget about it, and then like it happens, like it pays off like hundreds of pages later, just like oh my god,
2: man, the magic of prose. That's
0: amazing, and I will say that the the payoff with Brian, like the 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 notes that he's writing and the ease, like that was the thing that got me the most. We're just like oh, I see what you're doing, and that's devastating so it works it definitely it definitely works so this, that's the one compliment you get so i hope
1: yeah. <laughs> oh thank you i got it out of the way
2: oh uh, but b- by the way there's going to be because we, we, our assumption is that people that are listening to this will have read the book so there are going to be spoilers all throughout yeah. the-
1: i assume that that's what i love to do a little deep dive uh podcast book club when i'm really obsessed with a book i just search for the author's name or the title of the book in, in uh my search whatever my search function in my uh, podcast and i just binge i love it <laughs> oh cool, but i always cool. wait till i'm done
2: yeah i mean why would you listen to before you're done you right. want to be able to have opinions about these things that people are saying right yeah i uh, i have a, a question i don't whenever i have questions i feel like they're not questions but really observations by me that i'm looking for other people to confirm but uh so, so <laughs> I, I think of this as a novel that like kind of is without antagonists or at least the antagonists or not human beings right i guess in some sense cancer is an antagonist or grief is an antagonist but how do you structure something where there are essentially no bad guys there are only people that we're we're looking to empathize with
1: i have never thought of it that way um unless you go back to your seventh grade like man versus nature and you know mm-hmm. like antagonist. Mm-hmm. so i think for these characters you have them con you have them under this more constant pressure and this more like constant looming uh specter of first like this not themselves this not himself person and then the reverberations of finding a life and finding your footing once he's gone right so so i think it's more of a constant pressure from which they're they're just trying to negotiate and escape and find any sort of temporary way to get through to the next moment does that make sense so it's like if that's the if that's the constant pressure that's on them then there's these like little waves of trying to trying to survive to the next moment right and but also like and finding humor in those moments too right like that's one of the ways they escape
2: yeah I mean that's the only I, I mean you if, if there weren't humor in in this book if you didn't have characters leaning on on things like that it would be. Maybe too heavy. Uh, sometimes you, you get movies and books that are that that are like this that are like devoid of humor, bleak. yeah. And and, and yeah. they just feel like there. It's very hard to, to push your way through that sort of thing. So, which is true of 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 life too, right? Oh
1: yeah. Somebody at one of the events I was at in the last couple of days. You know i was at my little table with my little stack of books and they were like okay tell me about this i don't want a manchester by the sea type of book <laughs> and i don't know if you guys have seen that i would characterize. oh that. sure yes i would characterize that as a there's there's not a lot of moments of relief in that one. Oh boy mm-hmm. <laughs> so um
0: yeah, yeah in, in retrospect like the moments of relief are the things that are like only like mildly depressing instead of incredibly <laughs> depressing
1: see i'll never look at a fireplace again without thinking of that movie dear god <laughs>
0: Yeah. I do think what's nice about this, I think what, like, gets you through, like, I have been lucky, I've been blessed that I have not had to deal with, like, the kind of trauma and the kind of loss that these characters go through in this book. But I think what, what worked for me, and I feel like how I would have to get through it is, like, the relationship between the sisters or, like, with Evie and Olivia, like, all, like, the different, like, the, there's not a ton of characters, but I feel like other than, you know, with some exceptions i feel like all the the main relationships that we follow well that's not that's not as true because the the, the relationship with the mom let me rephrase this question <laughs> i think that the bond between the sisters is like what kept me going through this because i feel like it felt so authentic and earned and they just have such a shared experience that like they figured out a way to get through this thing together with the help of each other i think that really worked for me in terms of like how to process this immeasurable loss that they're going through
1: at that time in their lives there's there's that you can't look outward right like they can the only person who knows what exactly they're going through it's a good in this very specific kind of loss yeah is your sister right though they have that same there's a little bit of antagonism too like that doesn't go away There's still just like the misunderstanding the misunderstandings and the like always thinking that the other sister has it easier, right? Or like, so it's hard to be the older sister, it's hard to be the younger sister. So that doesn't go away, right? But they put it aside in in a way, I think that, because they can't afford not to.
0: Right, and I think there's a nice, like you do a nice job of comparing like how Liz keeps it a secret from Gabe all summer and Evie's like upfront with it about Olivia because of the way that like those characters exist in the greater seaside world. Like one is just sort of a tourist and one is there more permanently. I think that the, that draws some or adds some conflict there as well.
1: Yeah, I agree. And they they kind of are giving each other advice, right? Even though they're both new at love, but, but and yet they're both like using what they think they know to get the other to get the other one to level up in their love story.
2: Yeah, and they also bond together um, in their. I, I know that I said that there were it was a novel without antagonist, but there is a sense in which Margot is an antagonist, and uh, Liz and Evie sort of bond together over that kind of antagonism that they they have to like find solidarity so that they can solve this very specific problem of Margot wanting to move them after after Brian passes away.
1: Talked to a lot of people who have experienced some type of loss of one parent, right? Uh, over the years and who are older now, right? Who might be closer to my age. I'm going to be 40 next week. And a lot of them. Oh, thanks. Yeah. A lot of them talk about um, how, in a way, because the second parent is uh, so focused on getting through things and is having such a hard time that you in a way you kind of quote unquote, lose them both for a little while. So for the girls and their relationship with Margo, I think that kind of happens, right? And they take their, you sort of take your best guess at like what the parent like would tell you to do, and then you do it or you don't, because you're a teenager and you might just do what you want anyway. But in the back of your mind, you're still guessing what they would have wanted you to do. But for both parents, right, it's almost like a, there's a line in the book about how like in Disney movies, you have to kill off both the parents, right? Like from the beginning in a way, I guess that sort of happens here or with any, in any situation where something so intense is happening with one parent.
2: Sure. Yeah.
0: Cause I think you, you do like, there's like the parallel sort of like the way that they're both like, I think that the daughters are kind of handling it in a similar way, even though they have different relationships with the dad, but the marg like what Margot's going through is so, I think alien to them that you get two different distinct stories. And I think that that's for sure. Like they, they do lose the mom because she is, cause Margot's so in her own head and trying to figure out like, what next and what to do next and so focus on the business and just they're kind of on their own so you, you did disneyfy it kind of
1: <laughs> yeah but it's interesting they're also the one thing that teenagers have in common through any era is they will just like not let you get away with can i can, can you cuss or not on the show i don't yeah, know that's, cuss <laughs> like, away. oh cuss yeah away. like they will not let you get away with bullshit right like they will call you out on it so they just like when they go and find her in this like reddit style forum they're just like no we're not having this we're not letting you just ghost on us, right? Like we are gonna come and find you because we need you. Like we're gonna find you any way we can.
2: Yeah, let's actually talk about that for a second, just in in, in the sense of that there's different generations of internet here in this book because you have uh you have Brian and Margot communicating and and we get the epistolary the emails the the emails that for, from them. But so you have you know, the, but they're not essentially digital natives the way that liz and Evie are um how how, how do you view the differences between each of their relationships to the internet
1: i mean Margot and brian and they're sort of in their kind of web 1.0 versus the girls you mean yeah 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 so the girls definitely have that like digital native sense right that's always their go-to like right when they want to know like what's going on with their dad right it's like they go straight to google they don't hesitate before not only like finding their mom in this Reddit forum, but like inventing a whole identity. Like the idea for them of inventing a whole identity for yourself is, is like a native language because it's what their generation does constantly all day. Right. Um, Yeah. And then for Margo, it's more, it's like whether you go back to their, the email communication that she had with Brian when they were in college, or you kind of jump forward to her use of the forum to her use of, say, Zillow to imagine a life for herself after he dies, um, or even her more like utilitarian use of it um, for listing her houses on her business, right? To her rental houses. It's more of a utility. Even Facebook for her is like, you know, she doesn't have that like native understanding of it and she kind of like retreats, she kind of like dips her toe in and then retreats right after Brian dies right? She's, and then it feels icky and terrible, right? So it doesn't have that feel that it mm-hmm. has for the girls of this place that they exist every day and are so comfortable in, you know? What do you
0: think about, and I don't know if this is the right way to say it, but what do you think about like the ethics of basically catfishing your mom? But not necessarily catfishing, but like they're so much more savvy at what they're doing and they must know that she's not maybe, aware. like she just assumes she's talking to other, you know, women going through grief and trauma, like what do you think of the ethics of basically tricking your mom yeah. to manipulate her into like doing what you want her to do yeah. or what you want to do?
1: <laughs> well, and a, a, like a follow-up question is like, are the ethics of it different? If you were, th- there are definitely different kinds of catfishing. <laughs> like,
2: sure. So, yeah, yeah. so
1: in this case, at least from two out of three of the character two out of three of the characters' perspectives from the two girls, they seem, their perspective is like, they're taking what they need. They're going to find like what's missing and what they are like, hey, we weren't ready for this person to for in terms of their mom. They were like, we didn't give you permission to just like leave us alone and not uh, open, open up to us. We want you to do that. So we're going to get this because we want it. So from that perspective, like I give them a pass. I, I don't think that there's anything wrong with it. I don't think, and I don't think it's the same as like, you know, some other sort of catfishing scheme where you, like, trick a romantic partner or something like that, you know?
2: (laughs) (laughs) I I think they maybe get a pass because they're kids, but there is, and, and they're dealing with such an extreme circumstance, but, like, it would be wildly messed up for, like, for example, for me to just, like, show up at an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting and be like... Just absorbing people's stories and then telling my own stories and pretending so that I could like, uh, because it's not just she's not just as uh, Pomplamoose or I forget the second name. uh,
1: It's Travel Mary. Scrubble Scrubble Mary, Mary forty-five, in, in, in,
2: in invoking these ideas of sort of uh, uh, middle-agedness, right? But yeah. they're not only sort of betraying their mother; they're betraying every person in that group by yeah. misrepresenting themselves, right? Because they, like, when you enter groups like that, you—the assumption is that everyone in there is being honest. Um, so they're, they're essentially running like a kind of Marla from Fight Club game on these on these women, which is, if you're one of those women, I can imagine being like. Look, we're all going through grief. Like you're still doing something terrible to us, and right. we, we like we trusted you. I, I, how could I trust Scrabble Mary? How could I trust anyone on the internet ever <laughs> yeah, again? Yeah,
1: right. But I don't know. Maybe this is too abstract. But if you're getting what you need, right? Like it, it, you don't really know that anyone there is who they say they are. As as that's true, that's true anywhere on the internet. So. Mm-hmm. If somebody's there and they need it, like maybe, I don't know, maybe that's, okay. maybe that's also okay. This is a very specific kind of catfishing, right? So she's not trying to get money from anybody or extort that's anything. True. Yeah, you know, I've never, I've actually never thought of like the trick they're also playing on the other women, right? I think I've always given them a pass on that, too.
2: I think one I think one reason why I might give them another pass is and, and here's something that I was thinking about with with Brian and Margot's emails, too, because they're an example of a generation on the Internet. It's almost pre pre deception uh, that w- their emails are so raw and full of like complete total honesty. And then Margo is also so raw and full of total honesty on the on the message boards, almost in contrast to that but but i'd say probably more parallel to that is liz and evie are, are on the the message boards with these fake personalities, but the fake personalities are actually allowing them to express a truth that they can't express to yeah. their friends and to the other people in their lives. Like, they can't talk to Gabe about it. You can talk to Olivia about it, but they, they, they're really saying the things that they need to be saying to their mother that they can't be saying. So,
0: And they do say to their mother. Yeah. Via the post. Yeah. Yes.
2: So it is like... Um, in a sense, they're they're not tricking anybody. They're being more honest than, than they would be in "quote unquote" whatever the real world uh, is.
1: Yeah, it's so interesting you say that the the early late the late nineties emails and the early days of email are pre-deception because right. in a way those are even in a way those are even more problematic to have shared because the people who wrote them never thought that anyone would be able to see them right those were made in the if you post something on social media today there's an assumption that people will see it but it felt very private in those early days of internet right and very ephemeral they saved it at some point to this just text document but you would not imagine that it would be shared or disseminated right um
2: absolutely yeah so
1: i think that's a very interesting i think that's a really interesting comparison between those two kinds of sharing like at least on the forum there's some assumption that it's form of social media
0: right i think there's there's a there's an understanding now that basically whether you want to admit it or not anything that people want to find out about you can be found on the internet and so whether you're aware of that or not putting it out there is going to be public but i do think that the 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 cd that they burn the text document onto in that like binder of music CDs is a really nice way to sort of bridge the gap between that like web 1 and modern cuz like there's no way that Evie and and Liz would have CDs like they're all just on Spotify or whatever but it's like a, it's a bridge from the way that things used to be and a way to keep in touch with their dad as he's leaving them but I think it's a nice like physical reminder of this transition from the way things used to be to the way things are now
1: as a 16 and 17 year old kids in the year 2019 right Liz has a little bit more of a reverence. She's the older sister. She's a little more reverence for these actual artifacts, which is what they are to them. <laughs> sure. yeah. um, she, her sister suggests in one scene, she's like, uh, we can just listen to all these same songs on Spotify list. Just, just put these, this is dumb. And Liz has this reverence for the objects and the skipping and the scratching and the little booklets and everything of that the, the sisters vary in their view of technology in that way. But uh, but yeah, I think that's true.
0: I also do want to go back to the uh, forum just for one second. I do think the funniest moment in the book is when they start that second account, and Evie is coming up with her first post as a Seattle woman. She's like, "Well, I went to Starbucks in the Space Needle today." <laughs> and then like, "No, you idiot! Like, what are you talking about?" So I thought that was very funny. It's just like I know things about Seattle. It's you know the coffee brand and the the tourist like What are you doing? So I thought that was very funny.
1: Oh yeah, and it's I think that's like a it's an example of the things that teenagers. The teenagers are so interesting and there are things that they just they nail and they know about you as an adult that you thought they did not know and there are things that they get so wrong like there are things they're so oblivious to right and I think that yeah like those parts where the 16 year old at the 16 17 year old girls are writing this 45 year old mom they were my absolute favorite parts to write <laughs> um because I think it's such a I think it's such an interesting question of like when they would take their best guess and the ways they would workshop it together and what they would get wrong. Right. Like, <laughs> like how big should you be? Like, what would a mom complain about at the end of the day? What would she, what would she talk about in her posts? Right. If she's like, once she veers away from the, the glioblastoma stuff that they, they do know, you know,
2: I got the sense when I was reading that you as a writer are relating really hard to those daughters it's hard for me to write I'm I'm 38 years old yeah. and like it's hard to to imagine the ways in which 17 18 year olds act now on the level of of like how they would respond to to grief and things like that but at the same time I also like very much still feel like an 18 year old or a 17 year old oh yeah so I don't know what is what's the process for adapting yourself or your your idea of a seventeen year old eighteen year old girl into this kind of this kind of writing, I guess. I don't that's a really abstract and weird question, but I, I hope it came across. So
1: I think this leads to another like interesting origin story part of this book, which is like it so it took me over ten years to write the whole thing, right? and it started mm. out as just a seventeen year old girl. And I started it 10 or 12 years ago when I was like in, way more in between. I was in my late 20s. I think there's a lot of writers who ha- can imagine themselves into middle-aged or older characters. I think uh, Claire Lombardo blurb this book. And I think she does a fantastic job of that, uh, of writing older characters. Um, but I personally, I don't think I'm as good of a writer as that. And I don't think <laughs> I don't think I could have imagined the mother until I was physically and like emotionally closer to her age. So, so in the 12 years that I worked on this book and it was different iterations, I, the A, the world changed and B, I got older and became a mom myself. So I think that's the answer to this is that it sounds like both because it is both because it started as, as this 17 year old girl and slow, really slowly and mirroring my own life the mom became part of the story uh i queried this book as a seven as the just the 17 year old girl version of oh, it and okay got, i think it just confused people because it was not really ya and it was kind of too short um and yeah. i learned a lot of lessons which a lot of people do when they're doing that <laughs> um sure but that's really what i thought it was for a long time and it wasn't it? It wanted to be the whole family, but I think I had to get closer to that phase of life to to tell both stories. I don't know if that'll be true forever, but for this story, it was. I, th-
2: there's a version of this story where, I, I mean, again, going back to antagonists, where if if you're not, if you don't write it sense with, with like the sensitivity of someone who can also relate to Margot, that Margot becomes someone that is. A villain, which is like weird to make the the wife of someone who's dying from a uh, particularly insidious
1: yeah. form of cancer. Some readers have had a hard time with her. and I think like I think she's she's a 10 out of ten version, you know, I, I think it's like the way that I explain it, right? Like um I think every woman who would go through this might have a, have like a set of reactions and a set of behaviors that are that are to some degree what Margot would do. But I think a lot of the best fiction takes these ex- takes these experiences and makes them ten out of ten, right? Like mm-hmm. um, sure. anybody yeah, like anybody who's been through loss knows the reverberations of it through people who are you know, who are close to the, the person, right? Like you lose them to some degree, like we talked about earlier. So going to find them in a Reddit form is the ten out of ten version of that, right? So I, I yeah, so I love fiction that does that, the right, that takes what you felt and just blows it up, right? And makes it the most extreme version of it. So you can kind of have that catharsis.
0: And it feels like she knows, even though she's sort of feels adrift and trying to figure out what to do with her life. I think that she also at the same time knows definitively what she wants because it's like the day after he dies, she takes off the ring and then maybe like that same day or like the same week, she like drives hundreds of miles to find a new house. She's like, all right, new chapter. Like I'm doing this and just like take a little bit, like breathe, grieve a little bit,
1: but also, you know,
0: it, it, it tracks for her character. I think
1: think anyone who's experienced loss understands that impulse to be like, Oh no, 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 not. <laughs> you can feel that tidal wave coming and you're like not ready for it. Like just, I will do anything I can to just like sidestep this for a moment. So again, she's the extreme version of it, right? Does every person, does every person like sell their entire business and make a plan to move hundreds of miles away? No, but does every person put it off to some degree and, Wait until they're ready, which is never, <laughs> um, or try to, right? Yes, for sure, right? Like, I, I don't think you'll find one person who's experienced a loss who hasn't tried to distract themselves or sidestep it in some way, right?
0: For sure. Mm-hmm. I want to go back a second to the when you were mentioning it, this took you 12 years to write. This whole season that we're doing, the whole module we're doing right now is about the internet, and there is a lot of online elements, obviously, with the forum and like the texting and sort of Instagram and everything. And I'm wondering if in the time it took you to write, like, I feel like we've, technology has changed more in those 12 years than probably in any 12 years before. Like, did new, because I mean, Facebook was still around probably when you started this, right? But like, did the rise of new ways of communicating or new apps or anything change or inform the way that these characters behaved? Or was it always, because like, in a way, the way that they're interacting is still kind of like, from that era, like from the web one era, web two era, whatever. But there's also, it feels like it's more core to their lives today. Like, did that change over those 12 years? Was it always sort of similar to how it wound up?
1: Yeah, when it was the story of 117 year old, and that would have been closer to 2010, right? Would have been when she was, when she was around, when she would have been first telling this story. There wasn't very much social media in it at all. Um, because at that time, it really was just Facebook. That was it, right? And Honestly, even smartphones were new. (laughs) They were Mm. if you go back that far, I think I got my first one in two thousand ten. So a teenager might not even have had one.
2: I definitely didn't have (laughs) one.
1: And if you go back that far, absolutely, As, as time went on, right? So Instagram dating apps, Reddit and Reddit style forums would have existed, but they were not part of that, like initial 17 year old story using Airbnb. Uh, I don't, I don't know when that started, but I think it was after 2010. I think it was, Probably, I don't think, yeah. yeah. Um, and Facebook as being so ubiquitous, right. And a thing that like, right. That changed from like the cool thing <laughs> to like the thing that your mom would use <laughs> um, it right, yeah. all happened in those 12 years. And it even became more important The social media became more important to the teenagers relationships. And there are ways that they, the ways they kind of like learn about the person and then break up with the person and try to get away from the person. Right? Like if you compare the, uh, the teenage girls to their parents, right? The parents also kind of have breakups and uh, date and then don't for long periods. But then the girls have to make, really conscious decisions like when Liz breaks up with Gabe like she has to have this like I'm blocking you everywhere you know she knows that like she doesn't have the self-discipline to stay away from uh, seeing what he's up to if she doesn't just boom like block it like they they have I think I infuse them with more discipline than I personally have myself
0: <laughs> although you did leave open the door of she didn't block his band right so he's still <laughs> right. able to get to her a little yeah. bit so it's like was that on purpose or was yeah. that just like a, yes. a happy accident or whatever right yeah And yeah. I also think I also I thought it was funny that like he didn't get the note or maybe he did or whatever that like He's blocked, but he's like, "Oh, I can still see him. like he still like likes or comments." It's like, dude, just get take take a note, back off a little bit. That's, that's
2: classic like internet bro, though. That's, <laughs> that's a real. Um, how do we feel about Gabe? How do we, Joey, what's your, what's your take on Gabe?
0: I think Gabe is, I, I get the Gabe character. It's like, ooh, he's like, he's exotic and he's older and he's cool and he's helping me drink. And I'm just like, oh, no, he's kind of, he kind of sucks.
2: I love that he's exotic because he's from New York. which is
1: like <laughs> Yeah.
2: 90 miles away or 70 miles away or something like that.
1: And I had to make him a really specific age so he wouldn't be creepy. I and, mean, you know, like he's actually only like 18 months older than Liz, even though he's in this other life phase. You know, I'd be like, I don't want to make him a, like a creep creep. He can be a jerk, but not a creep.
2: <laughs> well, she, she does in her head, she hits him with a really brutal, like, why don't you go find another underage girl to sleep <laughs> yeah.
1: with? Oh yeah. Which is
2: like, uh, that's like a real, like, if you hit a guy with a line like that, that's, you know, that's it.
1: Gabe has elicited some strong responses. Um, there, my, uh, one of my editors, uh, she named, he, his name used to be Dave also. Um, and that, mm-hmm. that changed, but clearly he's not a Dave, but. Um, I gave her. a I gave <laughs> no, her. A,
0: Gabe, a, Gabe is a good name for him. Gabe is a very like yeah. appropriately douchey name for him. Yeah, right. Yeah. right? It's
1: perfect. But uh, yeah, his name used to be Dave, and this editor hated hated that. And then, which correctly, she was right. Uh, she's she's younger than me, and she was right. And she also, I gave her a plant as a gift once, and she it's a snake plant, and she named it. She named it Dave after after him. <laughs> 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 I was like, also appropriate. Yep, I can take that. know what's interesting about him though is um liz is using him like just as much right like the conscious choice to keep so much from him and to be like i you know i am using you as like you know the hot guy the distraction the like personal escape right yeah Yeah. right the personal like level up i'm gonna walk you and your tattoos right past the guy who made fun of me on the track team one time we're gonna walk right past that guy and he can just See what's going on with Liz now. Like, you know, like, um, look, I get the band guy.
0: In Gabe's defense, I think he is able to respond to the simple text of, hey, in a way that I never could. Like, I don't know how to parse <laughs> this, but he writes that whole, like, eloquent, like, that multi- maybe goes overboard. I'm just like, that's a very definitive, like, he knows what he's doing. I'm like, all right. Okay.
1: Okay, Gabe. <laughs> he, he has good game. It's clearly, clearly not his first rodeo with getting girls like this.
2: I think when Liz when Liz is doing, uh, g- gosh, I hope that I'm remembering this this correctly because uh, I I've read like ten books between. Reading Bob this reads book too and many now. books. No, um, no but,
1: worry. I would be honored to be confused with another good book that you've read.
2: No, no, no. It, it, I'm I am i am not I'm, I'm definitely not confusing it with another book. I might be confusing the person that's speaking. But there's a section I think when when Liz is speaking when she is thinking of how to like write. A text and response and it's hey and then a number of responses that come after the word hey right is that is that accurate that's liz that's speaking in that in that that's, moment. she's
1: kind of like thinking th- thinking through the post post good date post first kiss
2: so that to me felt um almost like it had its roots in 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 a different kind of like poetry and it felt to me like uh when when you do readings is that the part that do you read that part
1: totally is i just read it yes it's my yeah. favorite it's my favorite part to read but i also think mm. um Another thing that I think more established and more famous, to be honest, writers can get away with is um a lot of setup. Like, you know, have you ever been to a reading where you there's a long setup and you have to hear about seven family members before the sure. you know, yeah, before yeah. and um I always lose track and I'm like, nope, I don't know who these people are. I don't know, I'm just gonna listen. I don't think I can get away with that. So it kind of limits it. You really want to read something from the beginning, but without all the setup you need is Liz went on a date. And it went well, and dad's sick at home. Like, that's all you That's all you need.
2: It also avoids the reader trap of dialogue. Like, it's impossible to read dialogue when you're doing a reading. Yeah. You have to go back and forth between two different people doing voices or doing like he said, she said. Yes. And that. Like, that, that part's always very hard to read. But, but when I read that, I was like, oh, I can hear, like, the, the music or prosody or whatever in, in this, and it really sounds like something that is meant to be read out loud.
1: Funny. I've just been reading that part. Uh, like it, the last couple of uh, events I just had. You know what's funny though? I love a good audio book. The only kind of fiction I can do listen to myself, you know, for fun is like if it's this if it is this multiple narrator cast. I can't listen to mm-hmm. like a one narrator fiction. My mind wanders too much. I can only like read read that. But there's a great thing that really good audio actors do where if there's dialogue like you're talking about, they kind of do voices. And there's a yeah. really particular like once you once you've heard this, you're gonna let's see it hear it everywhere. It's a if there's a female narrator and there's kind of a jerk guy, there's a really particular voice that like a female actress <laughs> can do that's the best. Like I and once you are once you're like I don't think that male uh actors quite do it in the same way or can quite pull it off in the same way, but it's like hey <laughs> <laughs> does
0: this does this book exist in audio form and is that voice uh, attributed to Gabe or no
1: yes that they do, the audio uh, actor does kind of do that voice for Gabe perfect uh, yeah and I think the, the cast did a beautiful job and there's um there's an actor who does Brian who he's he really is only you know beginning and the end but he he jumps in for the emails which I didn't realize nice. he was going to do that and it it kind of took me off guard I was I actually like I, I was a little hesitant to listen to it, like, and then I finally did, and I, and I heard these Brian voices come in the middle, and I was like, oh, there he, it was like a familiar friend was back, you know?
2: <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah. My very first experience with audiobooks was when I was a freshman in college, and we were reading As I Lay Dying. For some reason, the teacher brought in, like, an audiobook that we could listen to in class, and... It was like this long thing of the guy reading in, the, in this like southern drawl. And then he got to a woman character and he just did the silliest Monty Python <laughs> falsetto voice Gosh. that like everyone in the class just started laughing. and The teacher got so angry at us. But it was like it was like the worst version of what an audiobook could possibly be.
1: Oh, right. It doesn't qu- uh, even a really good actor, a male actor. It's, it's tricky to do the other way, right? <laughs> For
2: sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. That would be a hard one on audio.
0: I do want to ask you about, I think we should talk about the boardwalk and the shore. I have a very, uh, do I want to save my question for later or should I just ask it now?
2: Uh, Let's do, yeah, there's the question. Yeah, go ahead. The
0: question of the hour. uh, Do you have a favorite boardwalk game?
1: I don't know. I don't know how anyone who grew up there could choose anything besides skee-ball. I think that's clearly the best game. Like, it's, like, I think it's the fairest also. Uh, my, My family had those wheel games, you know? So the wheel games, the claw games, like, anything electronic right like the the spray with the gun games those are all like really stacked against you <laughs> but
2: can i tell you my my game is the, I, i'm a coin pusher i'm a coin pusher guy the coin games are so that's so hard
1: yeah <laughs> have you had success with those well like no. not that
2: <laughs> no, not really. It's like they're they're impossible. But it's like there's something about my brain that really enjoys watching the coins like get pushed and fall over and stuff. And I
1: have I ever know. heard who has tried any boardwalk <laughs> games who who likes that one. That fast, fascinating. I have so many follow-up questions.
2: <laughs> well, some people have to like them, right? Because they're in every arcade. Yeah.
1: yeah. Oh, that's oh, that's totally true. <laughs> how do you guys feel? How do you guys feel about pinball?
2: Yeah, I like pinball. I, I wish I
0: was. Good. I wish I was better at pinball.
2: I like the. I like. I used to play the. I used to play the Guns and Roses pinball game in Point Pleasant.
1: Yeah, I like the Adams Family. That was a fun yeah, one. That's had a good a, one too. It had a really like loud. It was very. They're all loud. My dad, he got, like lost a bet or won a bet or something, or some guy in the boardwalk owed him money. He paid us in a pinball machine, so we have one in our in our house for a little while. My
2: mom, oh that's cool. My
1: mom hated it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I bet, yeah, yeah, that sounds like a nightmare.
0: My my favorite one is it's it's. It's got its lineage in skee ball, but it's like a sitting down one, and I don't know how best to describe it other than like it's the horses racing across in front of you, and there's like the skee ball. There's the one ball you roll, and there's like slow, fast, faster, yeah, and whatever hole you get it in the. And I'm I like that one because I'm very good at it. I like, have no idea what you're talking about. It's like, there's like six holes. Like it's imagine like uh, almost like a baseball diamond at the top. And there's one that's, like, in the front that, like, if you get in there, it goes slowest or something. And if you get in the middle, it goes a little bit faster, but it's harder to do. And if you get in the back, it's it goes farthest or fastest or whatever, but it's hardest to do. And I figured out from a very young age, if you just aim for, like, the middle ones, like, sort of, like, medium and steady, I just you crush it. So, like, I love this game because it's sort of like skee-ball, and like, you're rolling it and trying to get it in, like, a certain path or lane or arc or whatever. But, like... I'm not good at Ski Ball. We were talking about Ski Ball before you joined us, Katie. And I'm like, I'm not good at Skeeball. Like I wish that like I, I aim for the hundreds in the corners. I can't do it. That's
2: that's not the strategy.
0: Don't straight up the middle.
1: This. Straight the middle. And like maybe yeah. maybe aim for a fifty here and there, but no, slow and steady, right in that thirty. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, the I my I do like the skee ball adjacent game, but yeah, the coin the coin game, that surprised yeah. me too. I did not see that one coming for Bob. So
2: Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I I don't know how honest it is. I mean, I do like the coin, but I mean, skee-ball is clearly, like, that's like the, the that's the Beatles of sure games. And then coin pushers is like the, the esoteric uh, Frank Zappa or something like that. I don't know.
1: We, my family goes so far back. My This might have been the same pinball friend. I don't know. But they had, I remember when there were, cartons of cigarettes that you could win on the boardwalk like and there were there was a line like constantly outside that one like that like (laughs) uh, like that's a thing that happened for years
2: (laughs) yeah like let the kids play the skee-ball games don't like the adults are just playing like to so that they can win cigarettes
1: yeah right i know
0: This novel did answer a question that I had growing up, but I never I never played these kind of games at an age where I would do this. But I'm like, who would ever leave tickets behind at a skee ball game? Like I don't understand, but like yeah, it's just like 17 year olds who are like not doing it to redeem a prize, but like you would walk around an arcade, they'd be like, Oh my god, there's tickets on the ground because you're ten years old, you're like, This is the best day of all time. And it's just like some other kids, like, I don't care about this. So I like that they left the tickets behind because it unlocked a question. It answered a question in my brain that I've had kicking around, I guess, for 20 years. Like, who would ever dare leave value behind? But, you know. Well, you
2: need a billion of
0: those tickets. Not worth it. Yeah.
1: And on a date, you get the extra credit of, like, that's generous, right? She will view you as, like, a generous and magnanimous (laughs) person for leaving these for the kids, right?
2: Yeah, yep. I'm. I'm. I'm making a note right here about the next date I go on at the boardwalk. Leave the tickets behind. That's right. To appear like a generous person.
1: Yes, that's right. And just be like, I don't. I don't need that spider ring.
2: <laughs> no
0: one needs the spider ring.
1: <laughs> I had a ring. I went on the boardwalk one time. That it left a it left a green ring that stayed on my skin like the whole summer <laughs> oh my <laughs> after I took it off <laughs>
0: yeah that's brutal <laughs> that's how you know it's quality if, if, if it discolors your skin it's like this is what the good stuff's made of
2: <laughs> um I have two more questions this it, it, it's a ra- this is a radical tonal shift so I I, I apologize I'm here for we're
1: it
0: about no. to, we're about to get real serious moving into
2: uh cancer and uh well let's talk about hurricane sandy first. Yeah like hurricane sandy is kind of a specter in the book cuz it almost it almost breaks up the the family and it i think for people who live at the jersey shore as as i do it's this thing that is like even now kind of unreal to to think about so like when when you're thinking about this book what what role do you have hurricane sandy playing in it in your head
1: it is this unreal thing it that by the time we're here in 2019 right It was it it was 2012, right? I think 2012, Um, right? So almost everything would be rebuilt by then, right? And they would by then too. There was even this sense of pride and the towns looked really beautiful again by then, right? Yeah,
2: this is, well, well I, I like have a little bit of a beef with that because like, I well, maybe around 2012, but I remember for years afterwards, there were these Stronger Than the Storm commercials with like Chris Christie where yeah. he was like, not not to get too political here. Yeah. But like, well, you've
0: mentioned him on like three or four podcasts. He's a, he's a core member of this podcast like, in a way. Chris Christie was like on the podcast, news talking,
2: yeah. <laughs> talking shit about like what a good job he's done. When it's yeah. like, if you drove through Seabright, like, it was, like, for, like, ten years, Seabright was still destroyed. Yeah. Like, nobody bothered to fix that place. There's still huge buildings that are completely boarded up because no—and and Seabright is a town that, like, should be massively profitable, should have all of these things going. But, like, it is— massively mishandled and so like is still like this this specter of a terrible thing hanging over the, this this area but sorry I, I interrupted to to go on a rant about chris christie <laughs> which I, I do sometimes so uh, uh please if, if, if i didn't derail you too much please return to to uh... uh
1: i don't think you could have a jersey podcast without him coming up yeah. <laughs> um so by 2019 there would be pride and you know pride and devastation but and this like and this sense of right? That mirrors what they're going through personally, right? That like Mm -hmm. at any moment, right? Everything could be gone. Like, I don't think that ever like really goes away once you've experienced that, that feeling that everything is a little bit temporary. And I hope there's a sense from this, like not directly, but kind of just pervading it that, uh, that this place is really beautiful and they're grateful to be back there as well for the, for the individual family, right? Which, uh, so their, so their particular story it's like a literal storm that they weathered, right? There's this like storm within a storm because this like triggers this storm in their marriage as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and it's interesting because for the kids, it's also a time when they were much littler and their parents were sort of absent and really stressed out uh, and they had to get through that. So it comes up kind of in parallel to what they're going through now uh, with their dad because they, they're like, oh, right, this is this other time that we – went through something that we did get through, but it was really hard, you know? I think it's also like uh, Brian's reaction then is it's like that question we were talking about earlier about how do you show someone who's not himself and show him as a real full person, right? And you don't want to like deify him and you don't want to villainize him. You just want to make him a real complex person, right? So this is not his finest moment at all, right? But I think anyone who's been in a long-term relationship has has weathered these same ups and downs, right? And these times when something stressful externally um you see the person respond in a way that you do not expect and you have to get through that so so that's sandy for the family and then i hope there's the more complicated way that the town and the people refer to it
2: well i i I like your instinct to and, and and admire your instinct to like avoid making Brian like a super dad in those moments because he has such ugly uh, moments later on that you want to say like, well, no, no, this isn't who he is. He is this magnanimous, wonderful, benevolent person. But in, in that, uh, in resisting that, I think he becomes much more of a, a real, actual human being. And, and so we can see the grief in a much more three-dimensional way. Well,
1: temptation when someone is, when especially after when someone dies right to to present them that way and i don't think that's i don't think that's fair especially in fiction which has the freedom to do so much more than you would do at like a wake you know like you, <laughs> there's a time and place for it and i think like right. a really i think a uh, you know a complex long novel is the place for it
2: yeah um there is something with with regards to hurricane sandy there is something that like was a bit of a barrier for me with with um relating to these characters or making me Or empathizing with them? Or empathizing with them because and I don't know I, I I'm speaking exclusively for Manasquan here, which is again the town that I've I've grown up in and loved my whole life. When when Hurricane Sandy happened and those those uh like so many houses were destroyed and people had to leave and people came in and bought up those houses when they bought them up, they put up condos and stuff, and the community complete, almost completely disappeared. So I was thinking of this, fa- like Brian and Margo, like profiteering off of Hurricane Sandy, and thinking of that as like, oh, this is something that's keeping me like from cultural really, erasure. Fr- from really loving these people. Because when yeah. I saw that happen in my town, I thought like – Oh, this is like this town will never be the same again because all of the locals have gone, and now we have these condos and these really expensive houses, and regular people can't live here anymore because of the people who bought them and are now renting them. So, like, is that is that something that you you thought about when you were when you were writing this, or uh, or what?
1: Def- oh, definitely. And I don't I don't think as as far as like who gets a pass and who doesn't. Um, I don't think they get a pass on that because they are local, mm-hmm. right? It's not like they're some big corporation coming in from out of town, but they right. definitely were buying up things that like might have been people's family homes, right? That they that they ended up buying up for their for their real estate company. Like absolutely. And you know it's interesting, they're they don't think of it that way. So they think of it as like, right, they were teachers and then went into this business and they think that they're like, this is the only way we can stay here. From the time they have yeah. their from the time they have their first their first rental, their little garage apartment, they're like, well, we can't like if we want to have kids, we can't be working every weekend and twenty four seven every summer in order to support our seaside habit. <laughs> so so for them, they see it as the only way to like launch themselves into the economic class they need to be in to stay in this town. So uh, so it's interesting. I actually agree with you from my own perspective, but Margo mm-hmm. and Ryan would probably not see themselves that way.
0: Well, I think it, I think there's a nice reflexive bit at the end. Maybe that's not the right word. Where she almost tries to do the same thing in the land lockdown that she visits, and she's like, she tries to like lowball. They're like, no, fuck off, like, get <laughs> out here. But I think I think that's also like her like understanding like she she this is not where she's meant to be. But I do think that it's kind of funny that she's like. Hey, I you know, I did it once, it was successful, but do it again here. And they're like, No, get out of here, You weirdo. Yeah.
1: Well it's funny too. She's she's self sabotaging herself there a little bit too. She knows the For amount sure, yeah. she would need to pay to to do that and to to get that house. And um, you know, it's almost she freaks out a little bit and comes to her senses a little bit too. You know, like uh this is her area of expertise and she's not as ready as she thought she was, right? To to totally leave the town.
2: It, it reading reading this book. Being the age that I am and where I'm from, I... 100% 100% appreciate the use of Mount Airy Lodge as a soothing Balm <laughs> for everyone And I could just hear in my head Over and over again all you have to Bring is your love of everything beautiful Mount Airy Lodge okay, I want to sing over.
1: the jingle I hope they, they probably I hope they wouldn't sue us If we say <laughs> I
2: don't know I think they, they, they might it might be a completely Different owners it's still there I went there A couple of years ago and was like this is not what It used to be oh but, yeah um,
1: It is so in the psyche of anyone Who grew up in the tri-state area the the commercials and the champagne I remember thinking that that champagne bubble bath was the height of luxury and actually yeah. We, yeah, yeah we went my mom and my sister and I went like I think my dad was doing boardwalk stuff he did not come we went to the Poconos once and like my mom had reserved a, like a family area and they were like whoops we're out of we're out of those <laughs> they gave us uh, <laughs> it was like mirrors everywhere like a heart it wasn't a champagne um bath but it was a heart jacuzzi around bed and and we were surrounded by couples and um so like and they were they were just very confused they were like why are these kids here what's happening (laughs) but i have stayed in one of the couples uh those like 70s tastic couples rooms they're great
2: yeah, I love it. I got to go back.
0: <laughs> uh, what, one of the questions we were going to ask later is what the outro music you would like on this episode, but I think it has to be the Mount Airy Lodge jingle. I think that's just how this episode is going to end. Please I think we're play that with that. Yeah, you know oh, yeah.
2: If you it, 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 also, if you're feeling nostalgic, if you go on YouTube, like I, this is a weird, creepy thing to do, but it's also like the internet. So whatever. Like there are like home videos from people at Mount Airy Lodge where it's just like, here's us on our family vacation in 1991, and you can watch it and just be like. Holy shit! That, that that was life in 1991. These people just enjoying Mount Airy Lodge.
1: take a little detour. You see some Amish things on your way home. I think it's the rite of passage.
2: Yeah, it's, I, I, yeah. I'm trying to think of anything else that's more like '90s New Jersey than than that theme song.
1: No, there's yes, there's nowhere like there's nowhere like that. One
0: thing that we, every time we talk to someone, one thing that we ask, because the way that this podcast is set up is that each season has a different theme, so this is part of the internet theme, that's why a lot of this interview is focused on this conversation, I don't know if it's an interview, who knows, we're just just talking here, we're just talking, it's just like three Jersey people just talking (laughs) about New Jersey, but we've been focusing on the internet because that's what this theme is about, all the books that we're reading this season are about the internet or tie into the internet in one way or another, and so we did not prep you for this, so there's no pressure, but... If you were to design your own kind of mini-season, like three or four books that are either maybe inspired The Shore or thematically linked or just that you like or anything like that, if you were coming up with a couple books that if people read The Shore and really liked it, that they would want to go and read other things that are like it, what would you recommend? Do you have favorites genre-wise or... You know, location wise, or anything like that.
1: Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to go in. So it's not not internet related, but kind of short, sure, sure theme related. Um, I short. think there's a couple directions you can go. So I would go if you are if you're thinking about like people who are not themselves, right? If that's sort of the the theme, the books that I read and that were like, oh my god, look what they did. I feel different when I finish this. I feel like I have another a new understanding of the experience of caring for someone who's not themselves right so the things i put on that reading list would be we are not ourselves by matthew thomas um that's a character with dementia and it really focuses on the wife and you know kind of what happens with her after it's really beautiful i would also put goodbye vitamin by rachel kong on that list um i've I've read it i love it yes and could it be more different as far as like the style of the novel right it's like Uh, We Are Not Ourselves is like a pretty – it's a pretty doorstoppy novel. And then Goodbye Vitamin is super tiny, but it's also epistolary. It's a girl returns home story, returns to Orange County. She's like about 30, and she's also leaving a relationship that didn't work out, right, and caring for a dad who has dementia. But it also has these like absurdist tones, you know, like she does her mom's like Jane Fonda workout videos, right? And there's like – there's these moments like when she's kind of like reacquainting herself with Orange County that are really – um, that are really great. It's really beautiful, but also has does,
2: like mm-hmm. does goodbye vitamin is is that the book that has um like the father's notebook where he's he writes in it like like here are the things that you asked me like like he's it's his daughter reading it and it's like yeah. you asked me this you, yeah that yeah. I, I found that to be really devastating.
1: It was so beautiful, right? And like it, yeah. also a dad who's not perfect. You really discover like oh, for sure. and two yeah. siblings who had really different experiences. Dad, dad was an alcoholic for like. I think he was an alcoholic for one of the kids and not the other or like what, you know, was it was recovering with one and was yeah, more. Yeah. So anyway, that one I like returned to again, I remember like where I was and I read that. So that goes on the list that goes on the reading list, right? If you, if you're continuing, um, and then one actually just came out and I am obsessed with it. Um, it's called the swimmers by Julie Atsuka. What that book does, uh, as far as point of view, it's also about a character with dementia. Um, and, it's really skinny. I actually have it right here. It's like, I don't know. It's like under 170 pages, but it starts out with a group of people who uh, swim at the same pool. And it's like a wee voice from all of them. And they're like kind of obsessed with this crack in the pool. And then it narrows to this one character who's part of that. We who's experiencing dementia. And then the, the way they play with point of view in the next two sections are like just devastating and so beautiful so really different really yeah and i i would put like i would also put like some addiction memoirs in the same reading list so there i can't remember the author's name right now but the name of the book is smacked it's an addiction memoir from the point of view of the family and then it's this guy really successful lawyer Um, who goes through a lot of addiction issues. But the interesting part is, like, I feel like there are not a billion addiction memoirs that are from the point of view of the family. Like, I think there are more that are from the point of view of the person who's going through it themselves.
0: Is that Eileen Zimmerman? Is that that one?
1: Correct. Yeah, that one. Yep. Um, And she's a journalist, so uh, it's like, it has that, that, like, really, that really well put together, you know, like, I've been doing this Mm -hmm. my whole life, kind of, you know, kind of, like, narrative vibe to it. So... I think I listened to that one on audio too. I think she reads it and it's really good. There are so many more, but those are those are kind of in my top favorites for if you want more books about characters who are not themselves and the people who are caring for them.
0: And then I have one other, and this is, I don't know if this is easier, impossible, but do you have a favorite book that's set in New Jersey?
1: Yes. Uh, okay. Um, <laughs> well, I would say like most recent favorite, right? There are so many, is probably this book, is probably Rock the Boat by Beck Dory science and that's just my most recent and can i put a bt one because it's just it, there's only one chapter of it um one chapter of the girl's guide to hunting and fishing is okay is set in at the jersey shore there's other parts like those other parts that are set in other parts of new jersey but i just read that when i was 17 and i think that is one that's like really worth revisiting and reading again as a grown-up if you read it when you were a teenager um that's awesome so, yes i really do love those too. Um, and, of course, I love Bud Smith's book, Teenager, which starts in New Jersey. Sure, yeah. So, I wanna, yeah. so you have to shout that one out. And I think in a part of Jersey, that, you know, that Pine Barrens area that I think is, like, underrepresented. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And you, uh, do I have this right? You went to high school with Bud?
1: Same graduating class. Yes.
2: Yeah, that's right. Uh, had
1: a couple of English classes together. I know. I, I have not found out if this has ever happened in the history of books before. I, so far, I have not found out that no one has come forward to be like, "Oh yeah, that happens all the time."
2: <laughs> Two people in the same high school graduating class,
1: right? And, look de- into it. and debut in the same month.
2: Yeah, that's wild. That, right? that is crazy. Yeah. Never happened. We, we love Bud.
0: I have, a, I have a favor to ask of you. I, and you, the the door is open. Whatever. So we talked to Bud a couple of weeks ago for the for the show. We interviewed him about Teenager, and he talked about how he gets asked like for people to like he had like people say like write a poem for my wedding or whatever and so he made a promise to me that if we talk two more times he (laughs) will eulogize me at my funeral i'm not planning to die anytime soon but he he (laughs) promised to eulogize me at my funeral so because you went to high school with bud you graduated together i feel like this is a pact that your entire class has to make to me so after you and i talk three more times a total of four what will you do for me
1: (laughs) oh wow uh let's see he's already eulogizing you right it has to Mm -hmm. be it has to be I have to write something after write something regarding you
0: well I mean I think it just has to be something from your heart that like you you (laughs) feel like uh, represents both of us well
2: I think you could maybe officiate his wedding
1: I've actually always wanted to do that uh you should do it you got it I will at least I'll at least like write whatever the officiant (laughs) wants to read I always thought that would be really fun I've genuinely considered it as a, a side hustle.
2: <laughs> I've done it I've done it four times. Yeah,
0: I've been wow. to uh, in the last like 18 yeah. months I went to one wedding that Bob officiated and then another one another one of our really good friends got married in Greece and it was a very small wedding but Bob went over
2: there and married them too. So That's right. Yeah, it's my side gig that I don't get paid for.
1: The curse of being a writer is like you never think anyone does a good job with their vows. <laughs>
2: I, I, they, every time that I've done it, I, I have the exact same experience every time that I've done it. Like, Is that like I, I feel like kind of I feel a little bit like weak about what I've done, but then when the bride. Needs her vows. <laughs> Niagara Falls. I'm just tearing up. Well, because I'm, you're I'm, marrying I'm, like the, the dudes crying. are
0: usually the ones you're friends with, right? And so I I just
2: feel so like I feel so emotional once the once they're written they write their own vows, but once they write their own vows, man, I I get I get leveled by it.
0: I'm I will say in Bob's defense that when he married our friends Dylan and Nancy, he did a wonderful job too. So that was very emotional. And just spoke from the heart, and that was very good. And they both had great vows, but. Don't let Bob sell himself short. He did a great job, so I'm gonna hold you to this, Katie. I'm gonna make you, yes, you got make it. Something for my wedding. Mm-hmm. You
1: got it. You got it. No EE e. Cummings in there. I mean, you're like, oh, you're oh, we're doing EE e. Cummings again, huh? <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um And uh, yes, you got. Yes, you got it. No problem.
0: <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that.
2: Uh, I think that's about everything, right? We I think so. We we probably went over 45 minutes. That's okay, though.
0: We're over an hour now, baby.
2: All right. Cool. 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 Cool.
1: Yeah, that's what editing is for.
0: That's what editing is for. But thank you so much, Katie. This was, this was awesome. Thank you for uh, for writing the book and for talking to us and for representing New Jersey in the written word.
1: This was so much fun. And I'm so happy to get to talk to... This is a first. two Two guys from New Jersey talking on a podcast <laughs> is a... Yes, this is, this is a first. It was very exciting and very fun.
0: Well, thank you so cool. much. Thanks.
1: Now is the perfect time, and the season is just right. You can play all day and dance into the night. At beautiful Moundary Lodge, all you have to bring is your love of everything.
2: For reservations, phone 1-800-441-4410.
1: All you have to
2: bring is your love of everything. Thank you